If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12. We're starting a new short series. It's a little bit different than what I would normally do. We're not going through a book as we're taking this break between Genesis and when we move back to the book of Acts. I wanted to introduce to many of you something that I introduced to our uh, leadership through committees a little bit earlier this year. And, and this is probably, I think, the best way that I can think to explain it. Uh, if you are part, those of you that are part of a specific corporation or business, many of you that have been there very long can tell me what the mission statement of the corporation or business that you work for is. Y'all know the goal, you know the plan. If you've ever been on a team, right, you know what the goal is. Everybody knows what you're working toward, but I fear that sometimes we may feel like we're members of a church, but we don't necessarily know what the role, what our role as church members or what the role of the church is. And it's not just to gather each Sunday to praise and worship God, although that's part of our purpose. It's not all of our purpose. And so we're going to have just a few weeks here that I'm going to try and help us in, in a way that I think is easy to grasp, to think about what our role function as a New Testament church is. And in that, you'll see your role as part of it. And so I, I've tried to break this down there, there, and you can find a million different ways. People say there are the five functions of the church and the nine functions of the church and this many functions. I, I don't know why it always ends up this way, but I have three. Now, I didn't specifically work to have three. I do think smaller numbers easier. This is, let me also say, this is not proprietary. So, Wayne Grudem and his systematic theology, Millard Erickson, his systematic theology, Mark Dever in one of his books, they, they come up with these same categories. They give them different names. But these are the three that we're going to look at. Uh, worship of God, evangelism of the lost, and nurturing one another. Right, So when we met as the committees, we highlight this. I had them in a different order. There are some guys here that are smarter than I am. They said, Zach, if you change the order of that, then it makes win. And so that's an easy way to remember it. So this is our win, W-E-N, win strategy. But obviously these are broad categories. Worship includes multiple things. We'll see that this week and next week. Um evangelism, in that category of evangelism, we're putting all of our efforts in personal evangelism and missions. So local missions and foreign missions, right? Doing the work of the Great Commission, all of that falls under evangelism. It's a very broad, expansive category. As is nurturing one another. So nurturing one another includes corporate worship through singing. It includes the preaching of the Word. It includes Sunday school and small groups. It includes accountability with one another. All of these things that we're doing that help build up to strengthen each other. We're nurturing one another. These are things, but I, I believe this, that if we as individuals and we as a church focus on doing these three things, that we make sure that we are worshiping God in all that we do, that we make sure that we are evangelizing the lost and sharing the gospel with people that do not know it, and we are nurturing one another. If we're doing these three things, that we are functioning well, I believe, as a New Testament church. 
So we're going to spend two weeks on each. We're going to look at passages that inform what worship looks like. We're going to look at some passages that inform the need for missions and evangelism and how we do that. We're going to do the same for nurturing one another. So this week in Romans 12, uh, verse 1, we're going to start here and we're going to see what I'm talking about, what I believe Scripture is talking about when it says worship. So this week we're looking at it more from the individual standpoint Next week, we'll look at worship more from the corporate standpoint, and we'll get both sides of this coin. But look with me in Romans 12, 1. Paul says there, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Before we consider this together, I would love for us to pray. So if y'all would join me, let's pray together. Like God, what a blessing it is to be able to worship you, Father, to know you, Father, to have instructions about how we can worship you. Lord, I pray today that we're not just reminded about how to worship you, but Lord, that we're reminded of why we worship you, Father, that you, that you take this text and the, the things that Paul is implying and showing us and holding forth to us here, Father, and that you use them to stir our affections and our hearts towards you, that we would want to worship you in everything that we do. And, Father, that we would also be even more delighted each week to be able to gather, not just for church, to not just go to Mount Zion because it's what we do, but to be able to gather and corporately lift our voices in praise and in prayer and in singing, and that we could sit together and hear your word, Lord, and take part in your ordinances, Father, to, to be able to corporately share with Bryce and his family as we celebrate baptism, Father, as we recognize that we trust that his profession of faith is real and honest and true, that we celebrate in baptism with him today. And Father, as we prepare even next week to take the Lord's Supper, that we would think deeply about what it means that we as a body together are recognizing your death in our place. Father, help us to have a desire and a greater desire every day to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so here we see this, and, and there's some things here, that some language that's it's a little bit antiquated, right? Paul was writing in a time before ours, so I want to make sure that we're clear on what he's talking about. So we're going to look at verse 1 a little bit out of order. This is the first thing that I want us to see. What is he calling us to do here? We're going to see what he's calling us to do, then we'll see why he's calling us to do it. But, but really, you see a whole bunch of words here, several adjectives. What is he specifically calling us to do? Well, he gives us the basis, and we'll look at that. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And then we see the calling, the imperative, the command here, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now, let me go ahead and say this up front. This is one of those translation issues that's not... I, don't, I hate to use the word issue because this is something that I want to point out in translation because I think the way that we have it translated, most of our English translations, muddies the water just a touch. Because if I say a sacrifice, is everybody familiar with what a sacrifice is? Yes. If we say a living sacrifice, 
you kind of step back a little bit more and say, was that talking about killing something that's living or does it mean something else? And I think that translation of living sacrifice is, is a li- it muddies the water just a little bit because the way this is originally written, sacrifice is the imperative. Living, holy, and acceptable to God are all adjectives that are helping us understand what the sacrifice looks like. So we're going to make it, I'm going to make it simpler. I think this is the way that Paul originally intended it. The calling is that you would present your bodies as a sacrifice to God. That's the calling. Now, those other words are adjectives. They, they help us to understand what type of sacrifice. But at the basic level, this is what it means. That we would offer ourselves as a sacrifice to God which I think helps make it just a little bit easier, at least in my mind, for us to understand. But what does that mean? We know what a sacrifice is, right? We understand the Old Testament when they take the lambs and when they would take all these other animals and they would kill them, they would offer the blood. We understand that. I think most of us are clear that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, right? That he was killed, that he offered his blood in our place. So we understand the idea of a sacrifice is, is somebody giving up something for someone else. Right? We understand this idea. But what does it mean for us to offer our body as a sacrifice? Because I don't believe that Scripture is calling me and you to literally, in some ritual or religious way, to be killed. Right? That's physically kill yourself. That's not the calling here. We don't understand. So what does this mean? You've heard me say this before. I think some of the best, the best way for us to interpret Scripture is with other Scripture. And so I want to give to you, we have this verse, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus said something that I think helps us to understand exactly what he's talking about here. Talking, this is Jesus, and it says, And he, Jesus, said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily and follow me. And in this, I think we understand a little bit. Jesus used some words here that help us. Now, we understand what a sacrifice is, but these people that he was talking to understood what a cross was. Now, when they heard the word cross or take up your cross, the imagery was similar to what it is for us, but the impact was much greater. When you talk to somebody in this day and time, about taking up a cross, that hit home and that hit hard because that was the worst form of execution that they had. And they saw this often because when the Romans would execute somebody by crucifixion, they would do it publicly. They wanted people to see crucifixions to remind them, you need to stay in your place. So when they heard cross, that would have hit hard. And when Jesus says, take up your cross, cross they understood that imagery that you are choosing or that you are certain that you are giving up everything he says take up your cross and follow me and the words that he says just before that i think really help us to understand what he means by this he says let him deny himself and i believe that's what the calling of us offering ourselves as a sacrifice he is. We are called to take our sinful selves, our sinful desires, our selfishness, things that are centered around us, things that are centered around the things of this world, 
And we are to kill those things. That daily we should choose that we are not going to live for ourselves. That we are not going to be in charge. That we are not going to work for our praise and our glory and our platform. But we are going to work for the glory and the praise of God. For the uplifting of His name. We're going to humble ourselves in order to exalt God in our lives. We're called to do this. This is the idea, I believe, of selflessly sacrificing ourselves to God. We are choosing every day to follow Jesus. We're choosing every day to obey the teachings of Scripture. We're choosing every day to praise God. We're choosing every day to witness to lost people about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. That's the calling. That's what we see here. I believe that's exactly what Paul intended us to understand when he said that we should present our bodies as sacrifices. We are living as we have been resurrected with Christ through faith. We are living, so it's a living sacrifice. We are holy because we've been set apart through our union with Christ, so it's a holy sacrifice. And through our union with Christ, we are acceptable to God. So our offering ourselves is a sacrifice that is living, holy, and acceptable to God. This is what we are called to do. This is, in my mind, I believe in Paul's mind, the basic idea of worship. Now, when I say worship, most of you think about the songs we sing at the beginning of the service, right? That's just what comes to our mind. We equate worship with singing in a corporate service. And that is a form of worship. Don't hear me putting that down in any way. That is an important form of worship. When we hear worship, we think about something that we do in this building through singing. And we do. But we should also worship with everything that we do every day of our lives. When we're doing the things that we do for the glory and praise of God, when we do the things that we do out of obedience to God rather than for ourselves, that is an act of worship. All of those things. So the way that you interact with your family, the type of spouse that you are, the type of parent that you are, the type of co-worker you are, the type of boss that you are, the type of neighbor that you are, the generosity that you show to other people, the humility that you have in life, when you do those, not just to make yourself look better, but you do those to serve the Lord, that's worship. We worship all the time, everywhere we go. And I believe that Paul also highlights that here. Sometimes we miss this because he says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so sometimes we think this is more just the physical things that we do. Just Quickly, I'm not going to spend much time here, but I want to give you another text I think helps clear that up. Matthew 22, 36 and 37. This man says, Teacher to Jesus, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he, Jesus, said to the man, You shall love the Lord your God. And he doesn't say with your bodies, but I think he expounds upon what that means. With all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And I believe that Paul certainly meant that when he says we should offer our bodies as a sacrifice to God, that he meant our thoughts and our abilities and our affections and our emotions and our influence of other people, and yes, our actions as well. But all of these things are meant to be done in a way that honor God. So point one this morning is this. True worship is comprehensive. 
True worship does not just mean singing. It does not just mean at church on Sundays. It's not one day a week. It's seven days a week. It's not in one action. It's in all the actions. True worship is comprehensive. And as God's people, this is what our life should look like. All-encompassing worship of God. I love a quote that I read by Mark Dever. I think it captures this well. He says, When performed in faith, all the duties of the Christian life commanded in Scripture are means of worshiping God. Everything commanded in Scripture, if you do it out of faith, is an opportunity for you to worship God. Isn't that good? I hope you're excited today because now you're learning. If you didn't already know, you're at least being reminded that you don't just have to wait till Sunday to worship. Those of you that think, I'm not a very good singer. The good news is that's not the only way you worship. This is good for some of us. We have ways that we can worship that maybe we're better at than we are at singing. And so we worship. We worship comprehensively, all-encompassing with everything we have and everything that we are. But if you notice here, Paul talks about this like it's just what we should do. It's just what everybody should do. He finishes verse 1 by saying, this practice is your spiritual worship. Some of your translations say rational worship or rational service. Like it's just rational. Like it just makes sense. It's just proper and fitting that we would sacrifice ourselves and our desires and the things that we want for somebody else. Now, that feels anything but rational, doesn't it? feels anything but just status quo. None of us think, yes, I should give up everything that I want for what somebody else wants. That's difficult. That's hard. So why in the world does Paul talk about it like it's just an understood thing that we should all agree on? This is how we should live. Look back at the beginning of this verse. He tells us why. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a sacrifice. Paul is appealing based on a very specific thing. Now, we were in Romans 12 a few weeks ago. If you're with us, we, we looked at Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. That's when we talked about having sober judgment, not thinking too much about yourself. And I told you then that the context of Romans 12, the background for it, now this is going to blow your mind. You know what the background for Romans 12 is? Romans 1 through 11. Now that, that, that one I know. I had to go to seminary for that one. But when Paul begins verse 1 with, I appeal to you therefore, he's at least talking about chapters 7 through 11, if not 1 through 11, he's saying, based on all the things that I've said to you, based on everything that you've read in this letter so far, with that as my basis, I appeal to you. He calls those things the mercies of God. Based on all of that, he's saying it's rational that you would offer yourself as a sacrifice to God. Now, what's he talking about? What kind of things does, does he have in mind? What do we see here? Well, we see that... That we learn in Romans that we were sinners that were deserving of God's wrath, right? Not that God was just being mean or a bully to us, but that we had sinned and that we have done things that go against God's law. And we have, even once we knew better, we still continued to sin. And that because of that, we deserve to be separated from God forever. 
We deserve to, to get the backside of his hand rather than his face turned towards us. Right? That he should care nothing about us and that that's fitting. That's what we should get is death and nothing good from God. But instead what we do find in Romans is that he didn't turn away from us, but he came to us. Right? He interjected himself into our world. He left heaven and stepped into our lives in the person of Jesus. And all the things that we messed up and fell short on, all the sins that we've committed, he, did, he didn't know of those things. None of those things, right? We were sinful and evil and in many ways spiritually worthless, and he was perfect and glorious. He was sinless. He never did anything wrong and still, rather than avoiding us, he came to us and he showed mercy and compassion. And then he did die in our place. The perfect sacrifice. We deserve God's wrath. He deserved none of it. He took all of it. All of the wrath that I deserve for all of my sins was placed on Jesus when he was on the cross. If you're in Christ today, all of the wrath that you deserve, all the punishment that's rightfully yours, that you have earned through your life of sin... Jesus said, I will become your sin and I will take that punishment so that you don't have to. And that's good news. And he continues to talk more and more about how beautiful God is and the work that he's done in our life. And he reminds us that we are constantly held by God. That he never leaves us on our worst days. He, he doesn't turn away from us. In Romans 8 he says... Death, nor life, nor angels, or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, we are seen by God, and we are heard by God, and we are loved by God, and we don't deserve any of these things. The God that created everything that raises kingdoms and crushes kingdoms listens to every prayer that you pray. And Paul says, based on that, he says all of that, and then he says, therefore, it's proper and fitting and rational that you would give your life as a sacrifice to God. And you know what I say? Amen. Amen to that. Because it's true. You tell me that there's a God who owed me nothing but gave me everything. There's a God who I should have His wrath, but I have His love. There's a God that I should never be able to know, but I have a personal relationship with, who's prepared a place in heaven for me, who's coming back to get me. It's going to wipe away all the tears and take away all the pain and all the sin and all the evil from all the world forever, and I'm going to get to be with them. And then you tell me, and it is proper and it is fitting that you would use your life to serve Him. And I say, I agree. And I pray that you do this morning as well. Point two is this. True worship is correct. Right? Your teacher, when you're in school, they would tell you, you would, you would try and answer something, and they would say, no, that's wrong. This is the correct answer. Right? This is correct. This is right and fitting. You may not agree with it. I don't say this often, but I'll say it now. If you disagree with this, then you are wrong. Because this is correct. To offer yourself as a sacrifice to God is fitting and it is proper and it is what we should do. And it's what we should do joyfully, not because somebody said so, not because somebody told us that we have to, not out of some sense of 
obligation that we have this drudgery, but because we see what he has done for us and we want to give our lives to him. We want to exalt him. We want to hold him up. We want to follow him because he is perfect and he is loving and he is good. So I do quickly want to look at verse 2. We're really, I'm going to take a lot of what we see in verse 2 and we're going to talk about it this Wednesday night. So I pray that you'll come and join us Wednesday night and we can talk about this more. But it does show us a picture of this playing out in a way and so I do want to see that before we go. Read it with me, Romans 12, 2. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We're called here not to be conformed, not to look like this world. I, I would describe this as not adopting a secular worldview, or even more simply, not looking and living like our lost friends, right? You have friends that are lost, they're not Christians, and your life looks just like their life, that's not good. I've thought about this, I think a good way to understand this, because some of us have been here, you've been in this spot. Maybe you go on vacation, and you go on vacation with some friends, or you go on vacation with some family, and, and you suspect, if not know, that some of those friends or some of that family are not Christians. And so if you go and you spend a week with them at the beach, or in the mountains, or at Disney, or wherever, and throughout that whole week, y'all don't really have any disagreements on what's valuable in life and what's most important and what your priority should look like and the things that you talk about and the things that you think about, I would say that that should be a warning sign to you. Right? If you spend time every day with your lost co-workers and the things that they care about are the exact same things that you care about and the things that they talk and think about are the exact same things you talk and think about, that should probably be a warning sign to you because to me, I think that's probably showing conformity to this world. Now, that's something that happens easy, easily, indoctrination happens in ways that we never recognize, right? Through little conversations, through what we watch on TV, through what we listen to, through what we see on YouTube, right? Those people are called influencers for a reason. Now, I don't want you to think, Brother Zach's that crazy preacher who's saying, I shouldn't watch TV, I shouldn't listen. But I'm telling you this, you should be careful, you should pay attention to what you watch, because whatever you're watching, whatever you're listening to, whatever you're spending time with, whoever you're spending time around, they are influencing you whether you recognize it or not. And the call here is not to let that happen. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be changed, and we'll talk about that a little bit more Wednesday, by the renewal of your mind, right? Our minds and hearts have already been renewed. They've been they are, if you have faith in Jesus, regenerate, right? We are made new, and so we can know what is the will of God and what is not. We can know what is good and what is sinful, and we should, as we see here, choose the things of God, not the things of this world. So the last point is this, and I did I put all these in the same letter for you all today. True worship is changing, it's comprehensive because it includes all of our life. It's correct because it's what we should do. And it's also changing because when you are worshiping, it means that your life will be changing. Be changing to look more like Christ and less like this world. So this is, I just want to sum up the text in this way. In the order that, not the order that I made the points, but the order that it is in the scripture. If you believe 
all the things that the Bible says about Jesus. Who He is and what He's done. If you truly believe those things, then you should every day choose to worship God rather than worshiping yourself. You should choose every day to follow His path instead of the path that you want. And your life should look much different now than it did when you were lost. And so this morning, I just offer those to you as questions. The first question, do you believe everything that the Bible says about Jesus? If so, have you ever made that public? Bryce made that public today, right? His profession as he came and was baptized was that I believe that Christ is more worthy than I am. So I, my old sinful self has died and I am now united with Christ and I'm following him. Have you ever done that? Have you ever made that public? If you have questions, brother, like why should I believe the Bible? If you have questions about the historicity of the Bible, I'd love to answer those questions for you. None of those questions are too big. I would love to talk to you about any of those kind of questions. Why should I believe what I read there? Come and let's sit down and talk about it. If you do believe it, though, and I think most of you at least here on Sunday morning would say, I do believe that, then let me ask you this. Does it show in your life? Are you daily choosing Christ over yourself? Are you choosing His ways over your ways? Does your life look more conformed to this world or more like the will of God? Maybe there's some repentance that needs to take place this morning. right? Maybe we need to be more clear about who's in charge of our life. This morning might be a good time for you to just recognize that call in Scripture and to spend some time praying to God about that. So this morning, I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to have a time of response. We're going to sing again, Taste and See, and I do think as we sing this psalm, this is another of our psalms, that it's a great reminder to us that when we see how good the Lord is, right, Taste and See, when we see how good He is, it should change everything in our life. So this morning, maybe you need to pray where you are, maybe you would like somebody to pray with you. I would love to do that. Maybe you just want to sing. Maybe there's something else you need to do. But you respond however the Lord has called you to as our praise team leads us in this hymn of response.